Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, we've been in a fun series. For me, it's been fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. This whole Victoria series that we've been in has been a blast for me. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed every moment of it. Mainly, um, if nothing else, just because of what God has taught me in the study process of what he's doing um, in preparation to be able to share with you. And so sometimes, you know, when, when we preach, people get happy. And sometimes when we preach, the preacher gets happy. It's been a fun one for me. I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, today, we're going to talk about our attitudes and how they determine our outcome. I know, woes me. On Memorial Day, come on, preacher, seriously? You know, Memorial Day, this, this, uh, this holiday, it, first of all, how, how many of you know there are people that think like winners? And then there are people that think like participation trophy recipients. If you don't have kids or grandkids that are in dealing with that, it's, it is a mess. Like, don't send my kid home one of those trophies. Like, great, he played. He'll have, a mem- he'll have a bazillion pictures if his mother has anything to do with it, right? We're going to know he participated. I don't need 75,000 trophies that don't mean he won a thing. Sorry, I get, I, I get kind of crazy when we talk about this. There's two ways to think about things, winning and losing. Some people are ingrained one way. We've got to learn to think the way that winners think. We've got to learn to think and have the attitude that those who accomplish and those who conquer and those who are victorious think because they're not always the most talented or the most gifted. I've played on many of ball clubs in my life. I've played in many of golf tournaments. I've I've taken on many different challenges. And in my own experience, the best, most talented, most gifted people don't always win. How do you think David beat Goliath? How do you think the Hoosiers beat the Bears? You've never seen that movie, you know, Hickory Hoosiers. Come on, you, you guys are going to have to lighten up, okay? This, this weekend, Memorial Weekend, like, like Mike was saying earlier, it's a, a weekend that we remember things. We, we take into account, we remember, we think back, and, and uh, we remember what's going on. But it's not just a, a nice, long holiday weekend. That's not what it was intended for. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is to commemorate and celebrate those who have given their lives in the service of our country in the military. Uh, it started as what was actually called Decorations Day, uh, 18, 1871, I believe, somewhere following the Civil War in 1971. It was made into Memorial Day to commemorate those who had given their lives in World War II and Korea and uh, Vietnam. What, what the aim was was to mem- remember their, their um, great sacrifice. So it's a day to remember. It's a day to honor. It's a de- day to celebrate the freedoms that we have because someone died to secure those freedoms. Someone gave their all so that we could remember. Now, last Monday, I had the honor to be a part of a memorial service for a, a true legend. Jay Harrington, many of you remember, was a part of this church family, he and Gracie. And uh, I knew Jay had been in the military. I knew he had served in two different branches. I knew he had served in several wars. I just didn't realize how much until we got into all the stories. Now, I really, um, I, I really enjoy uh, talking to people who have been in the service especially those who had the opportunity to serve in World War II because my granddad was a World War II veteran. He, was, he served in the Navy. Uh, Jay was drafted into the Army, and then uh, after he was discharged, re-enlisted in the Air Force, 
where he got involved in EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. He told his family it was for hazard pay. We all think it's because he was crazy. There's really not much choice, right? You got one of the two. And he took the hazard pay. But as we sat and we told stories and, and listened and, and heard all of the, the things that he had been a part of, I was reminded of just how much there was a generation that as a whole ran in when others were running out. There was an attitude they possessed because they weren't the best, they weren't the brightest, not, not all of them, and yet collectively they conquered every, uh, every fascist opposition that came at us. They stood the test of time and they gave their all. And Jay, uh, just a couple of the stories, and this, this all fits really well with the sermon about attitude, I promise, just give me a few minutes. The thing that Jay exemplified is when Jay got off the boat, literally he was in the, the Pacific Theater, when they were landing there um, to make their, their beach assault, much like we, we hear the stories and seen the movies about Normandy, much the same thing happened. He gets off of the landing vessel, and you all, if you remember, Jay was a short fella. He was not tall in stature. So when Jay gets off the boat, he literally lands in a hole in the sea. And he's doing everything he can just to keep his head above water and not drown. This is 19, uh, 1940, uh, 1941, well, 46, sorry, 46. And along comes an African-American gentleman that grabs him, shirt collar, everything, and drags him to shore, saves his life. After two days of, of uh, the battle, finally they had secured the beach, finally they could have you know, some downtime, and they, they went back to their bunks, or their, their dorms, and where they had set up camp. And Jay, typical fashion, leaves where he's at, makes his way over to, um, uh, to the black regiment because it was still segregated, finds the private that saved his life and thanks him. Well, when his commanding officer finds out, he reprimands Jay, and that's where Jay first learned to not like military officers. He got reprimanded for thanking the man that saved his life. Jay ran in where others ran out. One time when they were in, um, I believe it was when they were in Korea during the Korean War, they were working on building the, the, the housing and everything, and out of the jungle comes a, some kind of a tiger, leopard something, and it grabs one of his, his uh, platoon mates, drags him back into the woods. Everybody else ran away, but not Jay. He ran in to save his friend's life. Uh, there's another, another time that a, a military helicopter, a Chinook, had gone down. It was carrying ordnance, and a crew of three had been shot down behind enemy lines. <clears throat> the crew was all dead, but they wanted to blow up the hel helicopter, retrieve the bodies so that they could return them to the families. And they sent Jay in to be able to detonate all of the ex explosive ordnance and to rescue the three guys. Jay, little, little Jay. He goes in, retrieves all three of the deceased Brothers in arms, goes back, detonates the explosive ordinance, and he won the bronze star for that. That generation, these stories, these few stories I'm telling you about Jay, summarized an attitude that that generation possessed. That they were going to get the job done no matter what. That it didn't matter how great the task was, they were going to either win the battle or die trying to make sure that freedom and liberty's flag flew over every 
every country that had been taken over, over they were going to make sure that there was not another country that could fly their flag over our capital. They were going to give it all so that the world might know freedom. And we salute their sacrifice. We honor their sacrifice in everything they've done and everything that they've given, the bravery and the courage and everything they did, the un- unimaginable thing. And they accomplished it because they thought, they believed, they had an attitude that said they could do it and that they had to do it or somebody else would. There's an attitude that they possess that today and this weekend we celebrate. How do we, how do we take that and, and take those few lessons about thought and belief and action and apply them to our lives today, especially when we have a a, a society that's bent on giving everyone a participation trophy so that nobody wants to win, so that nobody wants to succeed, so that nobody wants to do better than where they're at right now, because we all have that God-given design inside of us to want to excel because God's placed that within us. God doesn't want us to sit back and just take things as they come. He wants us to instead happen to our day, to take what God's given us and to advance his kingdom. That competitive nature that's inside of us is not a bad thing. I want to win. We've talked about this before. If you play cards, if we're ever playing any kind of a card game, I don't care if it's Uno, I'm going to find a way to beat you. Just ask Rachel. I don't, I don't cheat. I knew she's going to say that. He cheats. No, 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 no. What's that crummy game you and Selena play? Nerds, yeah, yeah. I don't ever have to cheat at that one to beat y'all. Because they they don't like to lose. Listen, we all have that inside of us. Why do we think of it any differently in our spiritual journey? Paul said, I don't let anything master me. I buffet my body. I remember when I first read that, I thought he buffets his body. Right? I beat it into submission. I don't allow any area to conquer me. I'm going to win in every aspect of my life, of my journey, especially spiritually. When Paul had this thorn in his flesh, right? The Bible says three times he asked God to take it away and finally says, no, my grace is sufficient for you today. Why did God need to tell him my grace is sufficient? Because Paul wanted to win. He didn't want this thing hindering him from accomplishing the task God had put in his life. I don't want to set back and allow things just to happen. I want to win. And I want to have an attitude that says I'm going to win. I'm going to conquer. I don't care what you throw at me. I'm going to find a way to use that to beat you back with it. And I'm tired of us as believers allowing the devil to throw things at us and just taking it. It's time we develop the same attitude that our World War II vets and all of our veterans have had that said, no matter what, we're going to find a way to get the job done. We're going to conquer. We're going to win. Because Jesus displayed that. He said, even if you kill me, guess what? I'm going to win. I'm not going to just take it. It may look like I took it, but guess what? It's all part of the design so I can show you how to win. So today we're going to look at at the writings of Paul that examines the attitude of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, put a marker in 1 John chapter 4 and turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Now we'll put the verses on the screen um, so that you can follow along for ease of reading. But if you'd like to actually turn there in your Bibles, 1 John 4 is where we'll be in a little bit later, but Philippians chapter 2 is where we're headed right now. Philippians chapter number 2, 5 through 11 says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. That one verse right there would be enough. We could preach that all day long. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. 
But he goes on to explain what that is. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. The name that is above every name. Not some. Not some. He's not equal with anybody else. He's above everything. The name that is above every single name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if that's not a res- resume for a winning team, I don't know what is. The name that's above every name. That's kind of like getting to play for the St. Louis Cardinals. It's the name that's above, okay, for you Yankees fans, okay, there you go. If you're a Cubbies fan this year, you won. Only took you 108 years, but you did it. Hey, you, you did it, right? Here's the thing. When you get around winning people, they know how to win. And guess what happens? They pull that out of others. So Jesus taught us how to win. In this scripture, it gives us some really great explanations, some really great life lessons that we can take and apply. And there's three things that we're going to look at. Number one, it's your attitude. It's your attitude. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's all you. It's not me. It's you. Really. You know, you, you remember like when you were dating when you were younger and you would break up and they say, no, no, it's not you, it's all me. No, 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 nah, it's all you. 100% all you. We're just going to tell it like it is today, we're going to call it like it is, it's all you, all right? It's your attitude, it's yours, 100% yours. Nobody else can, can make your attitude what it is, people can influence you, but guess what, it's still your attitude. No one else can continue to think for you. No one else can put those thoughts in your brain. Of course, people influence. Of course, things are out there that cause influences that affect. I'm with you there. But I just want to make sure we all understand this. It's not your mama's fault that you continue to think and have the attitude that you still do today. It's your fault. It's yours. It's mine. It's me. It's you. It's not me doing this to you. It's not somebody else doing this to you. This is is time that it's you, okay? Okay? Uh, we have some, some teenagers that are in the room. I love teenagers. Guess what, guys? Like, right now, you still kind of get to say, well, no, my mom did this to me. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. For now. For now. But guess what? That attitude that you give your mama, <laughs> that's all on you. It is. It's all on you. You're the one that makes the choice to do that. This thing about having to grow up, this thing about it's my fault and, and it's my attitude and it's mine to deal with, guess what? It's this thing called adulting, grown-up-itis. It's a no-fun stage of having to be responsible for yourself. It's a stage that many women seem to reach at the age of 12 and most men seem to never find. <laughs> Ladies, that was a really good chance for you to say amen. It's a really good chance, right? Sure, I get it. Other people have an influence on you. I, I, I'm with you. Others can influence your attitude, but they do not control it. It's yours. It's mine. 
Yes, I can choose to control it. I don't want to give that power over my attitude and my happiness to anybody else. Happiness is a fleeting feeling. It's not joy. I'm not talking about the fruit of the Spirit of joy. We should possess joy at all times. We're happy that God has saved us and we can display the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about happiness over a situation. Because when the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys lose, if the, the OSU Cowboys lose, it's a happy day in my family. But if the Dallas Cowboys lose, I'm not happy, right? If the Sooners lose, not happy. Like the Big 12 baseball tournament this weekend, what happened to my Sooners? They've fallen apart. And the Cowboys have gotten it all together. I don't know what's happened. It's a, it's a beautiful day for some and a horrible day for others. What happens is I have to be in control of my own attitude, my own thought process. I have to control that. Now, I get it. I get it. Some of you are sitting there going, but, but, but preacher, you don't know my brother. You don't know my brother-in-law or my mother-in-law. I have my own brother and my own mother-in-law. I get it. I still have to choose to be in control of my own attitude. Paul didn't mince words here. Make your attitude yours, mine. You control it. I have to be in control. I, I, I know some of you are saying, but, but preacher, you don't drive the route to work that I do every day. You're right. I don't. I don't go the way that you go. I don't get there the way that you get there. But you know what? I have my own route to deal with, and I have my own moronic drivers to deal with who seem to have lost their mind and cut me off every day on their way to their place of employment, forcing me to swerve as to not hit them with my big truck in their little bitty smart car and just run them over like a beetle, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, causing me to swerve and miss them and want to give them the Jesus is the way sign, if you know what I'm saying. But I don't. I have to choose. I have to choose to control my own attitude. I have to choose to be in control. I know, but some of you are going, but, 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 but. <laughs> okay, preacher, we're with you there, but wait, wait a minute. You don't have my kids. Again, you're right. I have my own. And from time to time, my kids act like they don't listen. They act like they've lost their minds. They act like, well, I can't say that in church. They repeat things that I never knew their supersonic ears could hear. They say things that make me question my parenting. They yell, they throw things. And I don't know if you've ever seen a two-year-old on Tired Tuesdays when we pick him up from the daycare, but oh my goodness, it's all, on. like we, we don't do things on Tuesday night. You invite me to come to your birthday party on Tuesday night, uh -uh, it's not going to happen. Listen, if you die and you want your funeral to be on Tuesday night, forget it, I can't do it. Not going to happen. Uh-uh. Why? Because that two-year-old's going to be throwing things at all of us, right? Because he's tired, because he's hungry. And we refer to it this way. He's hangry, right? You know what I'm saying? Where you're hungry and angry all at the same time. You're angry because you're hungry, and then you're hungry because you're angry. It's all this vicious cycle that works its way around. Like they act like they don't have any sense, and then they leave the house with mismatched socks on. Don't pretend like you don't do it and your kids never did it either and you're perfect and got it all figured out. We all have our own issues that cause us stress is what I'm saying. We can find a point of commonality all the way through it. Your taxes are too high, so are mine. You don't like the way things work? Guess what? Neither do I. But I have to be in control of my own attitude. Now, I had this really unique experience about, a, about two months ago. I was, had to go down to the Social Security office. How many of you ever had to go do anything at the Social Security office? Just raise your hand. 
It's okay, in a minute we can all come to the altar and ask for forgiveness, okay? I go down to the Social Security office because I've got to take care of some final paperwork to get everything, like get Hayes' Social Security card and all that kind of stuff issued as we're working through some of this process, some things that we misunderstood that the attorney was going to take care of and instead it was on us and we didn't realize that, so we're getting things finalized. I go for three days because who's got time to sit there for three hours? I mean, I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm number, and they're on number, Okay. Here we go. And the longer I sit there, the madder I get, right? Because why in the world should this take so long for them to check off a form and go, yeah, here, we'll send it in the mail. Literally, when I finally sit down with this nice, wonderful human being behind the counter, the first time I actually got to speak to a person, you know, that's our government money at work, right? I get to actually talk to this person. She goes, oh, we'll get this taken care of. Here you go. Literally two minutes later, I was out the door. Mm, Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And all that is within me, rejoice. I did not want to rejoice. I wanted to have a bad attitude. I wanted to have Tired Tuesday and act like my two-year-old, right? But guess what? I have to be in control of my own attitude. The thing about attitudes is they're based on what we think. Uh, They really are. They're steeped in, in our thought process that's working there. You see, we have an interaction with someone or something, and then we're influenced to develop an attitude about it. For instance, and I keep running back to sports metaphors because they fit so well. One time I went to a football game at OU. And this was back when the the last time they won the the national championship. And I was there sooner. Um, Somebody yelled boomer, I have to yell sooner, so the way it works. I was there during Red October when when Josh Heupel just kept finding ways to win games. And it was when they were playing the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And I wish Terry Dodd was in here and not working security because we would have fun with this, right? But I was there, and game day was there, and it was early in the morning, and there were Nebraska Cornhusker fans there. And you know what I found out? I didn't really like those Nebraska Cornhusker fans. I didn't care for the way they interacted, and still to this day, I have an attitude about Nebraska Cornhusker fans. You know why? Because I don't think they're very nice. Guess what? You have one interaction with somebody. You, you know what happens when people come to church? Uh, let, me, let me help this at home real fast. They come in and sometimes they, they have an interaction with some of our wonderful, kind, overflowing with love type people. And they love the church. Sometimes they interact with the rest of you. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, then probably it's you, Okay. They interact with those of us who maybe are having a bad day, and you know what it does? It causes them to have a bad attitude or bad thoughts, and they're sitting there going, well, I don't know why that church doesn't like people. Now, that doesn't happen very often. Let me just be really honest. Most people, when they come in here, the thing that they tell us over and over and over again is how kind and loving and genuine each of you really genuinely are. But not every church is this way. I know a few of them in southeast Oklahoma that they're not. Attitudes are formed through interactions. Attitudes are formed through the way that we think because of our experiences with others. This is what marketers do really well. They, they create this idea, right? You know, you're sitting there and you're, you're watching your favorite show and up pops this beautiful advertisement that has a sunny beach and sunny skies and beautiful people and they're having fun and it just looks like they're living the dream. You know what I'm saying? And they're sitting there and they're drinking a nice, cold, refreshing Sports drink. Some of you are thinking he was going to say beer. Uh uh-uh, uh, you bunch of sinners. Gatorade. See? 
This is what marketers do. They generate positive feelings through a positive perception. They do the same thing negatively towards things. Think about about what they're doing to uh, tobacco right now. I mean, if a kid watches one of those commercials now and they think smoking is cool, you're going, what in the world is wrong with that kid? Because the advertisers are doing a great job of making you look like you're crummy if you smoke. And I'm not saying that about any of you. If you smoke, that's not the point. The point is that's what advertisers are trying to accomplish. They paint it with a negative picture. Guess what? The devil does the same thing. He wants us to have negative experiences that paint our minds into a picture. Now, why have I spent so much time dealing with our attitude? Because if we don't get our attitude and our thinking right, we'll never see the example of Jesus for what it is. If our thinking is wrong, nothing can help us. But if our thinking is right, nothing can stop us. I'm going to run that by on a slow horse one more time. If we get our thinking wrong, nothing can help us. But if we get our thinking right, nothing can stop us. That's where it's at. So we've got, to get, we've got to get our attitude correct. We've got to get our thought process right and our attitude moving in the right direction so that it lines up behind the example of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 5, again, to make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Make our own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is really, uh, it's really perplexing and complex in the Greek And as I studied this verse, reading a bunch of people way smarter than I am who actually speak Greek and read it, um, their their explanation is this. They don't really know what to do with this verse because they don't know how to translate the verb, which is why in so many different versions of the Bible you'll see it different ways. Because they don't know should we translate it as passive or active. Basically, what it gets down to is this. The most plain nuts and bolts version of what this says literally in the active, with an active translation of it is this. Think this in you, which Christ also thought in him. Now we read it, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Whatever translation you're reading it out of. But it literally means to think this in you, which Christ also thought in him. Think the way he thought. Have the same attitude that he had so that your outcome will be the same thing. Follow his example. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's an idea that permeates scripture. Do what I do because I'm doing what he did. We all have to do the same thing. When Mike and I get up and we're preaching, guess what we're saying? Hey, listen, this is what scripture says. Do what we're doing, find out what the scripture says, and then go do that. This is the example. Follow it. Put it into practice. Literally, think this in you which Christ thought in him. Well, what exactly did Christ think? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because he goes on. In verse 6, he basically says that even though Jesus was better than everybody else, is there a better man than Jesus, honestly? Is there a better man? I don't think so. The son of God, perfect in every way. The one time that he disappointed his parents, what did he say? I had to be in my father's house about my father's business, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what he's saying. So in verse six, he says, basically, he was better than everybody else, literally everybody else, and yet he didn't use his divinity as a hand up. 
Instead, he loved everyone the exact same, and he, he, he went through life the same as us so that we would have an example to follow. He thought about it and said, if I don't show them that you can do this as a human, they'll never think they can do it as a human. You want to believe that you can conquer whatever's setting you back? Jesus had to do the same thing. Even when Jesus was going, it's not my time, his mother comes to him, the very first miracle in the gospel, his mother comes to him and says, hey, uh, he tells, the, tells these guys, hey, take, take these over to my son, he'll turn the water into wine, is essentially what she's telling him. And what is he saying? Woman, this is not my time yet. My time has not yet come. And she says, do what he says. And he obeyed his mother. Guess what? Teenagers, kids, we have to obey our mama and our daddy. It's what scripture teaches. Jesus lived that out. He gave us the example, do this. I'm not going to use my divinity for an advantage. Instead, I'm going to show you, you can do this too as a human. You can conquer. You don't have to give in to every temptation that comes your way. I'm going to show them that even when you have not eaten and you are hangry, you don't have to give in to that. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of fasting for 40 days is not appealing, Amen. The idea of fasting for 40 hours is not very appealing to most of us. The idea that, you know, we're going to do without certainly doesn't appeal to our American appetites because we want it now, and we want it our way, and we want it out the drive through window so we don't have to do any work to get it. The Bible says Jesus showed us the way that even after 40 days when he could have turned the, bread, the rock into a, 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 a loaf of bread, he did not give in to that temptation to dip into his divinity in that moment. Instead, he showed us that you can conquer what comes your way. You can stay the course. You can overcome if you'll do what the Bible says. If we'll follow his example, verse 7, he says uh, basically that he became a slave in order to demonstrate what kingship looks like. Yes, he was the king, but because he emptied himself of all of his divinity, took on the form of a slave, amazing things happened. Verse 8 basically says he humbled himself to being obedient. Now, obedience, ooh, that's a lesson we all could use some more of, right? He humbled himself to becoming obedient. Now, obedience is a demonstration of humility. It says, you know what, that I don't have all of the answers, you know the hardest thing to do? Somebody asks you a question in a field you're supposed to know, is to say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But you're supposed to have the answers. I don't know. But that's why we're here, so you can tell us, I don't know. Jesus empties himself, becomes like a slave, becomes obedient to death, death on a cross. We've got to get back to the point where we can say, I don't have to have all of the answers. Instead, I'm going to choose to do it God's way. I'm going to choose to obey Scripture rather than having to have it my own way because in some messed up way, I think my way is right. We've got to get back to humbling ourselves to the point of obedience. He humbled himself to death on a cross. He submitted to God's plan through the pain. Through the pain. In spite of the pain, regardless of the pain, indifferently to the pain, he submitted to death on a cross. We, anytime pain gets there, want to run the other way. Heaven forbid we had to do a hard thing as believers. Heaven forbid that our obedience cost us something. We think in America, oh my goodness, if it gets too hard, I'm going to have to call for persecution and have the, 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 the political correct police come bail me out. No, forget that. If obedience costs us, so be it. 
I'm going to be obedient to what Scripture teaches, regardless of the pain that comes with that, because I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. Amen? Even if it costs me, I still am going to follow. We've got to get back to that point of being able to say, just like Jesus, if it's death on the cross, even if it's the most excruciating, painful punishment I can endure, that's okay with me because I'm going to follow his example and put him first. He humbled himself. He didn't give up because of the pain. He fought through the pain and the uncertainty of the outcome in order to obey. Even when he could have said, Dad, please find another way, he still found a way to say, not my will, but thine be done. Too often we don't give it a chance if it's going to hurt. That's not what Jesus did. He lived that out. Obedience, humility, saying not my perfect plan. Instead, I'm going to do exactly what my dad told me to do. Now, think back to when you were raising your children. How many times did you let your kids get away with doing half of what you told them to do? Not often, right? Sometimes it was easier to take the path of least resistance, but what you wanted them to do was everything you told them. I I don't want my kids to take out half the trash. I want them to take out all of the trash. And not just take out all of the trash, but take the dumpsters down. I I want them to learn all of it. But Lord, I don't know if I can do that. I don't Lord, I don't know if I could really give my all. I don't know if I could really trust you that you might have a plan for me in all of this. It's kind of painful. No, no, no. Follow through the whole way. Go the whole way. The example Jesus gave us is one that doesn't hold back. See, because of this attitude, because of of the attitude that he displays here in these three verses, Paul says, that you get to verses 9 through 11, and he says, because of this attitude that was uh, regarding what was in front of him, God gave him the name that was above every other name. Because of that name, because of that attitude, because of that obedience of Jesus, we can all be saved. Amen? That attitude, that obedience, that level of commitment from the Lord Jesus Christ is the reason that things changed for us, the reason that everything changed, the reason that literally mankind looks back and splits history because of that act of obedience where he went to death on a cross, and because of that, now we have life through the grace of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. It's because of that act of obedience that everything changes. But we have to then go and put that into practice in our life. It's not enough to just develop the attitude. It's not enough just to follow the example. It's we've got to take it to that next step where we believe and put that into practice so we see that as our outcome. I know a lot of people that they know a whole lot of scripture, but they don't practice any scripture. And they wonder why they don't see anything come to pass in their lives. Well, guess what? you got to work the process, baby. you got to put it into practice and see the whole thing come, to, come about. You can't bake half the cake with, with half the ingredients. You've got to put it all in there so that it all works together to bake the whole cake of our lives. If you leave out the eggs, it ain't going to be right. If you leave out the sugar, it's going to taste nasty. You've got to put the whole thing in there so it all comes together. When we take on the same attitude as Christ Jesus and follow his example, we change the outcome of our situation. Now listen, if you want to win you got to put it into practice. you got to develop the attitude. you got to follow the example, but then you got to do something with it so your outcome changes the same as Jesus promised. It's the way things work. It's the way life happens. You change your attitude and you change the outcome. Your, out, your attitude will determine your outcome. I, I've, known, I've known friends that they got speeding tickets 
big speeding tickets. Driving way too fast kind of speeding tickets. The kind of speeding ticket that causes the judge to yell at your brother, I mean my, my friends, if you ever set foot in this courtroom again, we'll throw every book we've got at you over how fast you were going. Kind of speeding tickets, right? But because my brother went in very humbly with a positive attitude of what can we do to work through this, I'll do anything, guess what? That speeding ticket from when he was 17 years old, 22 years ago, is no longer on his record. Because he had a good attitude, because he approached it and the outcome changed because he had an attitude that was good. He followed the example that his friend who was an attorney told him, Will, go do this, and the outcome changed. Guess what? If we get a good attitude about the situation, the problem, the struggle we're facing in front of us, and if we'll follow the example of Jesus, who didn't consider anything too much for him, he didn't consider any need too little that he couldn't meet it, or any need too great that he couldn't accomplish it, he said, No matter what you're facing, if you follow my example, have my attitude, the outcome can be what you're looking for because that's what Scripture teaches. We've got to put it into practice. We've got to work it. I want my life to change, so I've got to change my thoughts, which will change the way I see things, which will change the outcome of what's in front of me. When we realize that our example has already won the war, we start to realize, like the Apostle John, that he was onto something. You see, in, in 1 John 4, 4, John is nailing the church. He's writing to Christians, and he says some beautiful things. He says this. He says, you are from God, little children. He doesn't elevate them too much. He says, you got to remember who your daddy is and who your elder brother is. It's Jesus, your brother, and God, your father. You're still little children, and you have conquered them. He's talking about the false teachers and the false prophets and the spirit of the Antichrist that is permeating the society. He says, you've already won. Why have they already won? Why? He says it, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You've already won. Start thinking like it. Let, let me rephrase this the way I would say it. You snot-nosed little baby. I've already killed the spider. Quit running in fear from it. My dad was at the house a couple of weeks ago, just had his knee replaced. He's doing awesome. He's up, he's walking around, he's out in the backyard chasing kids around as best as, you know, one-legged man can. All of a sudden, he's, uh, Hayes has got his little golf club set out there, and he's trying to hit the golf ball, and we're having fun chasing him around, right? All of a sudden, I had gone back inside, and Hayes comes towards, Dad, snake. I thought, oh, sweet Jesus, here we go. Because you know me and my love of snakes, Right? So I make my way out there, going to defend the family. My one-legged father has already taken care of it, right? So he goes over, and it's a snake. And my dad, it's just right there up against the house. He takes the little golf club out of, out of Hayes' hand and starts trying to fish that, that snake out of the grass. And I'm like, what are you doing? Just beat the thing to death. You know what I mean? Cut it in half. Do something, right? He says, oh, it's just a little. It doesn't matter. It's poisonous. It wants to eat you for lunch, and it wants you dead, okay? It's just the way snakes are. So he finally submits and listens to the head of the household, because it's my house, dadgummit, not his. Anyway, he, he takes that golf club, and he whacks the snake, chops its head right off. Perfect, perfect shot. Couldn't have asked for it to be better. Right? But what do the rest of the family do when they see that snake still wiggling because its body's still moving? They freak out and run for the fences. And what do you want to say? I've already killed it. I've already won. It may be wiggling, but it doesn't have any power. It, it may act like it's alive, 
but it doesn't have any teeth to bite you with. It may act like it could still get you, but there's no venom running in its vein. Listen, the devil may be coming at you with everything he's got, and it may seem like everything is wiggling just right to get you scared to death that you're never going to conquer what's in front of you. But if your attitude is the same as Jesus and you follow his example, guess what? He's already won. He's already cut the head off the snake. It has no power over you anymore. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. No mountain, no valley, no demon, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can conquer you if you do it his way. Why? Because he's already done it. He's already conquered them. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. I'm about to go down there and amen myself. That's good preaching. No matter what you're facing, he's already won. He's already won. The game is rigged. It's kind of like playing cards with me. You're going to win because I'm going to cheat. I'm gonna, don't tell Rachel that. You're going to win. It may not look like you've won because you don't understand what winning is. Jesus has already conquered. It's not about this eternal, this, this temporary experience here. We're eternal beings have a temporary experiencing on earth. What we've got to remember is that we are eternal beings. This is just a moment, but tomorrow and the next day eventually are going to lead to a lifelong eternity. That's the beautiful part. You win. You win. They don't want to win. You win. You've already conquered. He's with you. No matter what comes your way, you win. Here's the part that gets really hard to cheer. We win. But preacher, my dad died from cancer. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that it didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to. But guess who's walking on streets of gold? I didn't want it to be that way. Why? Because I'm selfish and I wanted him here a little bit longer. Man, what an experience he's having today. Wrestling through what do I do with the tension of I've already won when it seems like everything is stacked against me to lose is where we prove our faithfulness. Jesus prayed over and over, not just a couple of times in the garden that we read, but it says that he went back and continued to pray. He woke the disciples up and he was frustrated. You sorry suckers, why can't you pray with me for an hour? I asked for an hour. He goes back and keeps praying at the end of it. Finally, he comes and wakes them and says, come on, the time is at hand. But Jesus remained faithful through the pain, through the disappointment, through the displeasure, through the discomfort. He remained faithful. That's a winning attitude. That's an example worth following because that's an outcome worth repeating. But it starts with your attitude and mine. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, man, maybe you'd say today, Pastor, you know what? <laughs> you are hitting me right square on. I am struggling because I don't see how this plays out in my life. And I know some of your situations, I know some of the stories that you're facing, I know some of the history that you've seen, and you wonder how in the world did God see me through in that? How does this even make sense? And at the end of the day, you just still got to be faithful. 
He's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness to be. But all of his promises are yes and amen. So today, if you're here and you say, you know what, this is me. I have struggled with my attitude because I wanted God to do it my way, and I don't understand why he let it happen the way that it did, but I'm struggling. And today, I need help to adjust my attitude to be what God wants it to be. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Struggling with your attitude. Okay. All right, who else? See those hands? You can put them down. Is there anybody else? And if you're here today, in just a moment, our, our prayer team's going to make their way. But if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. I'm just trying to be sensitive to the Lord because I just feel him kind of shifting how we're going to conclude this today. But if you need prayer for anything, not, not just for your attitude, because believe me, even the few hands that went up, probably all of us could come for an attitude adjustment because we just need to see things the way Jesus saw them. I mean, I just really believe that some of you, you need a miracle today. I really believe that God wants to do that. So prayer team, would you go ahead and make your way? I'm believing that God's going to do this. Not because I'm good, not because we've got it figured out, but because I believe that God wants to meet with us in a special way. I don't know what that looks like for each of us, but here's, here's the, where the rubber meets the road. And all across the room, if you would, please go ahead and stand. If you raised your hand or you should have, we want to invite you to make your way. We want to agree with you that God will adjust your attitude. But if you need God to do something miraculous in your life right here and right now, we want to pray with you for that. So if that's you, if you'd say, Pastor, I need a miracle today. It doesn't have to be healing. It could be that you need a court favor in your uh, court proceeding to go in your favor. It could be that you need a financial miracle. Uh, the Bible says when two or three come together as touching and agreeing, that's when things happen. That's when things begin to change. And so if you need a miracle, if you need God to do something in your life, if God's leading you in anything, we want to agree with you. If you have an attitude that needs to be adjusted, would you give the Lord a chance to do that? And so as Rachel uh, sings as Josh plays, and if that was you, you raised your hand or you need a special touch, I want to invite you to make your way out of your seats, make your way forward, because we want to agree with you in prayer. Come on. As they come, would you give, let's, let's cheer them on. It's not easy to do that.